welcome back to the Web3 Native Podcast. Well, it's been a while since we've done an episode, and I'm so happy to be back in 2023 and see all of you. So today, we kick off this year with a fresh episode, actually, a bit of a throwback to our Year of the Dow series. We have with us uh, Timur Costers, partner at Seed Club Ventures. And just a little bit about C-Club Ventures, it's a 25 million venture DAO focused on internet native organizations. They've made some incredible investments uh, in areas related to social coordination, AI, the creator economy, things like Guild, Stability AI, Lens Protocol, Coordinate, Molecule. We're going to dive into all of that and the thesis areas. Uh, there are a few core contributors aside from Timur. There's Nima, Anthony, and it's a member-driven Venture DAO with more than 60 funds and angels. Uh, and of course, among that, uh, Longhash Ventures ourselves, we are proud to be a member uh, alongside many friends at C Club Ventures. So, without further ado, let's dive right in. So, throwing back to the year of the DAO, right? Uh, we spoke so much about DAOs. We, we brought in so many founders, you know, from like Gnosis, Snapshot, CoinShift, and like many other angles. Uh, and we, we discussed like the state of it then. But the world has changed a lot. And with that, you know, narratives change, terms change. I noticed that uh, basically in the thesis of the unveiling of C Club Ventures, we spoke about <laughs> internet native organizations, right? It seems that like, you know, goodbye DAOs here, welcome <laughs> INOs or INOs. What, what are INOs and why are we using this term? Yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, we are very much still DAO people. That's our space, that's our background. But the term DAO is experiencing some semantic drift. It's losing some meaning because everyone has a different definition of it. Now, we definitely do not want to meme another three-letter acronym into existence. So I am calling them internet native organizations. And I'll touch on kind of why we're thinking about it in that way. So the original idea of a DAO was that the rules that govern the product or community would be encoded in smart contracts, right? So this idea of automation at the center, humans at the edges. And what we're seeing these days is that there are many examples of amazing organizations that call themselves DAOs, but are not really autonomous, right? And they're at varying levels on the decentralization spectrum. But they're leaning into this new paradigm and what this technology allows for, because, and they're not just interested in building a protocol or a self-running DeFi product. There's a countless number of use cases already, and they're using terms for themselves like decentralized community or meta-label, guild, or a DAO. And so we think of these as examples of internet-native organizations with shared governance, ownership, and economic ties. So it's a bit more of an umbrella term. It's a bit more of a relaxed definition, less focused on automation. Some of these projects may be moving towards that, right? They're going through processes of progressive decentralization, progressive autonomization, but, you know, there are folks building social clubs as DAOs, new cities, communities that are aiming to buy basketball teams, you name it. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's exactly one of the properties that uh, you've talked about before, which is because they're internet native and they can be, if I can quote 
some parts of the thesis piece, right? Set up admins, right? And use software to track contributions. And because things are digital and on-chain often, they are open source, transparent, where we can automate a lot of rules and tasks. Uh, and what that means is that now we have a borderless organization. The speed of innovation is much faster. Uh, and also it's much more open given it's permissionless and forkable, right? Uh, so let's talk a bit about the properties uh, and the benefits of these uh, internet native organizations. Uh, you mentioned yeah. that many of them are going through that uh, journey for decentralization, right? And and I think it's it's always uh, helpful to to come back to to that uh, the the original motivation, right? So uh, why is it important to have shared ownership and shared governance? To me, that that. Uh, that means decentralization, right? Like shared ownership and governance. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what is the purpose of that? Uh, and I see a couple of uh, kind of highlight areas and, and they kind of like different parts of the spectrum along like resilience and innovation. Uh, would love to dive into that. Yeah, speed of innovation, like you mentioned, the borderless nature of it. I think one thing that really helps drive this point home is some of the historical context, which... We mentioned in the thesis essay that we uh, launched with, uh, it's on our website, but I'll quickly summarize. So if you look at the history of types of organizations in the last 500 years, say, it, about 400 years ago in the age of exploration, that led to the creation of the joint stock company, which led to a huge boom in trade and commerce. And about 250 years later, during the Industrial Revolution, we saw the creation of the limited liability company which also precipitated the growth seen in that period. That step was probably like a hundred X improvement in terms of efficiency and speed of execution for your ideas, right? You no longer, with the LLC, you no longer had to get a Royal Charter. You could um, invest your money and not risk personal bankruptcy if your venture lost everything. And so these inventions were kind of native to their times, right? They were native to the technology and the cultural needs and the economic needs of those periods. And so here we are 200 years later, several decades into the internet age, and we still don't really have an internet native way of governing and sharing value. So you and I are communicating via hyperfast internet, instantaneous communication. We're literally on opposite sides of the earth right now. That's incredible. But if we wanted to collaborate on anything that could create meaningful enterprise value, it would be incredibly, incredibly difficult, right? Like, where would we domicile the entity? How could we set up a bank account? If we had, if we started to grow our community, how would we come to decisions and have them trust us? Uh, people that we've potentially never met and vice versa. So these organizations have these properties that you explained. And I think it represents another 100x step function improvement versus the prior systems. Um, and so what's the point? Well, we can be borderless. Like we said, we can automate rules and tasks, which, uh, removes the need to rely on a centralized intermediary, which I think is an incredibly powerful thing that folks who grew up outside of the global North kind of inherently understand. Uh, I was born and raised in the ashes of the Soviet union. So I kind of inherently have this understanding of why we may not want to trust a centralized uh, governing authority. Um, they're open source, they're transparent, which cultivates trust. They can track contributions, which 
you know, allows people to build their reputation. Ultimately, what, what is the point of all of this? I think these types of organizations combine this rich new design space for governance, ownership, and incentives with the ability to quickly experiment and learn from others who are doing the same, right? So we're in this crazy new space that is just perfectly primed for speed running learnings, right? Where it's perfectly primed for emerging behaviors because the the cost of trying something has just gone down 100x in terms of time and, and money. You can do it with anyone in the world. You can learn from what everyone else is doing. And I think we're kind of on the precipice of just this Cambrian explosion of, of different use cases. Um, so I hope that kind of answered your question. I'm, you know, as you can tell, very excited about this. Let's <laughs> hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so sticking on to that point around like the speed of innovation and uh, how internet scale uh, permissionless groups enable that, right? Uh, and also look, bringing in that historical perspective uh, if we now look at it from a historical perspective of like DAOs as well, right? Mm -hmm. I think uh, we have seen a shift from like what the kinds of DAOs we have seen and the benefits that we expect or the purpose that these DAOs were set up in the first place, right? Uh, if I may just uh, give a, a perspective here, uh, what oh, I see sure. is that you know, the, the DAOs of before, um, often they wanted to scale uh, for resilience, uh, be it in the form of like uh, regulatory arbitrage, which many of the first DAOs were, were set up to do, uh, or uh, to actually make sure there's sufficient, um, let's say, credible neutrality, right? Like Ethereum talks a lot about a decentralization of like the validator nodes uh, oh, so yeah. that we can maintain that liveness and maintain that neutrality if ever uh, it's, it's being potentially censored in certain countries, right? So I think the old generation of DAOs was about like having that scale, uh, internet scale of like decentralizing, getting so many people involved in an internet native way. Um, and and it, it slows down the network to be sure, but it makes it a lot more anti-fragile and resilient, right? Uh, and it's super useful uh, for protocols, super useful uh, for uh, th things that uh, you don't want a platform uh, to control. Uh, and that's kind of like the, the doomsday scenario, like the, the Luna Punk thing where like, oh yeah, we, we don't trust governments, right? We, we want like it to be everybody owned. But in the, the flip side that we have now discovered that like, hey, you know, that's like the baseline of let's not die. <laughs> uh, now, let's, how, how do we get to like the 100x improvement um, is now the speed of innovation at, in, at uh, internet scale. Right, where like DAOs by virtue of decentralizing actually are gathering a lot more ideas, a lot like for example, with like public goods funding, like what are all the different ideas we can have? When to propagate a meme, like what are all the ideas that we can use to to propagate a meme? Right. So in this uh, case, right, we're actually speeding up innovation. We're not slowing down versions, we're speeding up by incorporating any ideas in a borderless way. Uh, and to me, that is also uh changing the the definition of DAOs. Uh into like what what you call INOs, right? Because the the definition you mentioned just now was automation at the center, uh, but we're also now seeing that like instead of being the tech and automation at the center, human at the edges, it's also shifting towards uh, mission at the center and maybe tech around it to support that mm -hmm. mission. 
so just to finish up this point, all right, if, if we go back to the examples I mentioned, like having Bitcoin or Ethereum, where these like protocols at the center and we have social consensus to make sure that the chains are live, to make sure that the upgrades uh, make sense, they are secure, uh, we might need social slashing uh, if there's some sort of censorship. And we saw like some of the early uh, product-driven DAOs, right? Like Uniswap, Yearn, ENS, or even currently de being developed things like SafeDAO, where like the open source immutable protocol is in the middle. Uh, and like we're, we're governing how do we like uh, share resources and ownership in order to continue to grow the adoption of protocol. Uh, the newer DAOs, the balance, uh, center of balance has shifted around the, the mission being in the middle and then how do we use the tool? So for example, the propagating a meme like noun style, right? Where like it's about like the nouns and then the auction serves that. Uh, the the projects that we're funding, the governance serves that. Or with like public goods funding as the meme, right? With Gitcoin and like the, the actual quadratic funding mechanism serves that, right? And then the, on the far end of the spectrum, uh, things like Ukraine DAO or Friends of Benefits FWB, uh, where the mission is if, as everything. And you could argue that the tech is maybe even uh, optional it, it, to push it to an extreme, right? Where like uh, Ukraine mm -hmm. DAO could have been funded with fiat if that was possible uh, or practical. Uh, and FWB could have been on like a, a Telegram Discord kind of thing. Um, and you can, and even if whatever the platform they are currently on is is, is completely uh, broken, uh, if, if as long as we have representation and a place to come together, um, these like mission-driven DAOs are, are like, because mission is in the middle and people are in the middle, uh, they can come together and use any tech and use any platform that they like. I'd uh, love to hear your view around this uh, evolution. Yeah, this is an excellent, excellent point. I, I completely agree. When we think about the purpose of decentralization, I like the, I love the framing of, okay, we started with caring about resilience of these more kind of protocol level projects, but then through interacting with these products, we realized that, hey, we actually feel like we're part owners of this thing now, right? Or, you know, through singular moments in time, like the Uniswap airdrop, people realized, oh, wow, I've been a user of this thing. I've helped it grow. And now I'm being rewarded for that. I have ownership to some degree. And hey, look, I can actually vote in governance proposals. So I have governance as well. So, and, and, and uh, to put a point on that, an important aspect is also that if the Uniswap protocol network grows, as a part owner, I can also see upside in that. And that idea, those ideas have been taken and uh, morphed and played around with in a whole spectrum of potential use cases. And this touches on something that I've been thinking about, which is that Web3 is really as much a cultural innovation as a technological one. And there are new affordances that are given to us by the technology and by these primitives. But it also has kind of awoken old ideas about community and ownership and what these things actually mean and what rights we have to participate in the, you know, in, in the things that we build. There's a really interesting concept from Nathan Schneider called Innovation Amnesia. I don't know if he coined it, but I, that's where I learned it from, which is this idea that some of the, a lot of the things that we talk about in Web3 have been around for a long time, right? Co-ownership has a lineage tracing back hundreds of years to 
cooperatives and 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 there's examples of that with for some of the other ideas that we talk about a lot but somehow this new technology allows us to see an easier path to a future where we can actually implement some of those ideas and so we can learn from those historical lineages but it's also okay it's actually a productive process to almost forget some of it because it comes with a lot of baggage right like the idea of co-ownership 70 years ago in the US would probably get you landed in jail or at least branded a, a commie whereas now it's cool like there's tech bros talking about it there's folks in SF talking about it there's you know artists DJs whatever talking about it and that's great let's lean into more of that you know um I, I think what this all comes down to is that DAOs allow us to want different things. It allow they allow us to have different goals than we would have from normal corporations. You gave some excellent examples with FWB. I think another good one is Constitution DAO, right? If we wanted to, actually no, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this more concretely. I don't think it would have been possible to go and try and buy a, you know, a very expensive copy of the constitution like constitution Dow did, or at the very least, it was not in my realm of objectives that I could possibly yeah. care about or want. And suddenly this technology, which did make it much easier. And you, you know, you probably couldn't pull that much capital over a weekend if you tried even from like us persons, but suddenly this technology just like, boom, it opened up this idea space and so, and we're all now thinking like, well, okay, I guess I can now buy a constitution or buy a golf course like Link Stow is yeah. doing or buy a basketball team like Kraushaus is doing. I can participate in the creation of the next Hollywood movie like Storyco is doing. I can build a network city like Cabin is doing. It's, you know, when you really dig into these examples, to your point, there are varying levels of automation and decentralization. These are all, again, kind of things that we aspire to, but it has just blown open this, just what the space of what is possible. And I think that's really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that nobody expected the, you know, the basketballs and the golf courses and like, yeah, just cabin, cabins in the woods and nature. Yeah. And work. <laughs> Yeah, but I think the key, the, the yeah. other, the other thing here is that like, I think the DAOs of the future are going to look very different to how they look now, right? And I'd be really curious for your thoughts on this as well. But I think that we've kind of been aiming at the lowest hanging fruit so far. And back to the point around emergence, you know, we've we've tried direct democracy and we you know figured out where that works and where it doesn't. Um, We've tried a bunch of other kind of governance things. Um, we've tried to make marketing agencies, but decentralized or lending protocols, but decentralized. And these are amazing 10x improvements. But I genuinely think that there are going to be entirely net new ways that are completely impossible right now to forecast. Um, I think nouns is a great example, right? Where we have this whole ecosystem whose sole existence whose sole motivation is the propagation of a meme. That is a very powerful new idea, right? Memes are just ideas and ideas are the core of everything. So what is that going to look like in five years? Don't ask me, I don't know, but I'm 
excited for it. You know, I'm investing towards that future. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, was there a question uh, there as well uh, that, that you're looking for a view on? No. I, well, curious for your thoughts on, on any or, or all of that, but um, no, more of, more of just an excited monologue, I would say. <laughs> yes, I think this this whole episode is going to be a, a collection of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. P part of the excitement is that you know we don't know what to expect, uh, but what we do know uh, is that there's a north star, uh, like you said, of shared ownership, of shared governance, and certainly I think we've identified a lot of uh, inefficiencies or, or issues that we need to continue. Uh, to iterate, right? So, uh, for example, with uh, how do you make governance uh, efficient? How do you surface uh, the right level of curation so that the right people and proposals uh, get rewarded? And how do you surface the right votes such that the people who have been contributing the most or the people who are most knowledgeable about a particular topics and areas are able to uh, reflect that in the weightage of their vote or perhaps uh, reflected in, in their loyalty and interests uh, in the DAO, right? And uh, I think in the past, it's just been very simple, like uh, coin voting and uh, mechanisms of distributing incentives. And now we start to see like there's a lot more room uh, for imagination with a decentralized society. We're seeing um, SPTs come up, verifiable credentials come up, proof of humanity come up, uh, and we are seeing all types of like a spectrum of roles. Uh, I know we invest in hats, for example, or different ways to engage in the DAO with like joke, for example, with like contests and, and mini proposals. Uh, so I, I think like the this the rate of innovation like and and the uh, targeted pain points that we're addressing are becoming clearer, and I'm excited to see what will come up. Absolutely. Yeah, very well said. So uh, we've spent like around 20 minutes uh, talking about very conceptual things. We had plenty of examples, uh, <laughs> but it's still kind of like we're plucking from like all sorts of places. Now let's make it very real uh, and talk yeah. about one case example and what better example than ourselves at Sea Club Ventures, mm -hmm. uh, which is itself uh, a venture DAO. Um, Right, and as I understand, there's a legal setup, but there's also uh, it's it, in spirit. There's of course a complete like member-driven uh, organization, and mm -hmm. uh, it's related, of course, to C Club, which has a DAO itself and an accelerator. Now, why did we pick uh, the venture DAO route? Right, like given you know our exposure and experience with various types of internet-native organizations, this could have been, for example, uh, a mission-driven non-profit organization that says hey look we want to support like uh internet native organizations let's like fund all the public goods here uh, or it could have been uh, a particular product that you're trying to drive right that would have uh, promoted the adoption of internet native organizations so uh why this particular path of a venture DAO? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, why invest in the first place, right? What role does venture capital actually have in the building of an ecosystem? I would say it plays a relatively important role, uh, depending who you ask, in de-risking some of the early explorations, especially in a very risky space, right? There are There's insane risk that entrepreneurs face in this, um, in this new space and industry and there are folks who are incredibly excited about what's happening here, but don't have the 
capability to just strike out on their own and say, okay, I'm just going to try and build this thing. So, you know, why are we not a nonprofit? Well, we are huge supporters of folks who are and who run grants programs. And uh, we think that's an incredible um, path forward and we need much more of that. But we're also excited to be able to funnel the profit incentive. We're a, a DAO that has a membership of 63 members. About a dozen of those are other big crypto funds like Multicoin Capital, Dragonfly, Delphi Digital. We have some family offices, funder funds, traditional VCs. We have about, we have some corporates like Gnosis and about half the membership are other builders and founders, et cetera. We want to funnel all of that energy into supporting our portfolio, right? So unlike a traditional VC fund, this touches on why we're a venture DAO rather than a venture fund, unlike a traditional VC fund, which has LPs who give you capital and say, okay, you know, call me in 10 years, good luck. Our members, like yourselves, are very involved in the processes. They help the core team with all of the functions. If we think about what a venture investment process entails, it's essentially we form theses, we source deals, we due diligence those deals and invest in the ones that we like, and then we support our portfolio projects. And there are aspects of our processes that lend themselves very well to being more decentralized and some that don't, right, to be just fully candid. So the things where it's super helpful to have this ecosystem are the formation of theses, uh, sourcing deals, because we have experts like you guys at Longhash who see things and think, okay, this actually fits with the C-Club Benches thesis. Let's get it in front of them. And we, we really like having this network for supporting our portfolio projects because each project that we back gets this entire ecosystem behind it, right? Where we found that maybe there is still room for innovation in terms of how to best utilize this ecosystem is in the process of due diligence, where we found that actually it's great to have some consistency in the way that we look at projects and companies. And to that end, and kind of for that reason, we have three partners, myself and Anthony and Nima, who are kind of keeping the train on the tracks. We're, we're driving the ship forward. We, uh, we do the primary bulk of the diligence um, and we make sure that members know how they can best kind of be involved. So I think, oh, and one thing I'll touch on as well is that we have a legal structure that allows us to spin up sub DAOs which are essentially kind of focused groups that uh, specialize in a specific vertical or eventually perhaps a specific function, like when should we sell deals? And so that allows us to move quickly and kind of, you know, iterate fast in a very dynamic industry. So this gives us, I think, the best of all worlds, right? We have a diversity of thought. We can source deals from a huge network. We're very hands-on with helping the portfolio. We avoid a lot of the uh, free rider problems and tragedy of the commons problems that a lot of the kind of first iteration of venture DAOs faced where everyone pulls money together, but it takes a lot of work to like properly diligence something to follow through with the investment. And sometimes it's easier to kind of just take a step back and relax. 
there are lots of interesting experiments running in this space. Hydra Ventures, which I think we'll announce this week, is a venture DAO funder funds, which I think is really cool. We're participating there. Um, Chain Forest is another venture DAO that has done really cool stuff. Um, yeah, so I think it's a really cool kind of area to be playing in. Um, would love to hear your thoughts, actually. You guys have a very interesting vantage point. You have your accelerator, you have your fund. Uh, are there other venture DAOs that you've invested in? If not, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have uh, very selectively uh, invested in a few or a couple, yeah, a few venture DAOs or I guess funds, uh, more from like a, a personal side. And I think the, the main reason we do that is for, uh, I guess, strategic and complementary reasons, right? Uh, I think, as you said, similar to how DAOs are spinning up with very specific and focused missions, a lot of funds are getting spun up today, right? It used to be that uh, the whole of Web3 space is so small that it's like, yeah, I'm a crypto fund, and, and that's it. You just look at crypto. But now, Web3 and, and crypto is so huge. There's so many verticals, be it from, like, uh, from the infra layer to like gaming and uh, social, and, of course, like within internet-native organizations, there's a very specific thesis, right? So... Uh, we love that, and uh, that's that's why we're we're participating. And we did a couple others as well. You know, for example, uh, related to zero knowledge, uh, like zero DAO, where you have a bunch of people yeah, like laser focus on the technology and, and the huge potential there. Or with uh, Cooper's um, music, uh, Cooper nice. Records, nice. Uh, where like he's just like twenty four seven and obsessed <laughs> with music and yeah. And uh, yeah, we love him. He's been on the pod uh, a couple of times as well. So we see that, that these like very focused uh, funds just once, once you you thread the needle on that focus, then you, you kind of like open up in that area and then like cover that area quite comprehensively. In, in terms of the, the setup and synergy, um, our answer here is that uh, it, it's about the synergy of the accelerator. So mm -hmm. we our setup is uh, we have the accelerator that supports early stage builders uh, and partners up uh, with ecosystems or protocols so that we can bootstrap those ecosystems, right? So we, we not only work with these founders on accelerator program, we support the grants program as well as part of evaluation. We bring in some of the early, even earlier uh, stage builders as part of like a fellowship mm -hmm. to join our workshops and, and mentorship sessions. Uh, and so that, that whole effort goes into, it's almost like creating a public good uh, that that really accelerates the growth of the ecosystem. Uh, whereas our fund, well, which is not yet a venture now, <laughs> uh, invests in the underlying infrastructure uh, and then the accelerator will bootstrap its its growth. And it, to me, I actually see a similar story uh, with C Club Ventures as well, right? Because a lot of the investments totally. are the, the DAO infra. Uh, and then the C Club Accelerator has a lot of the, the organizations, right? The, the people and the actual use cases. And those can then use a lot of the, the portfolio. So uh, we, we're kind of curating a suite of, uh, of infra and increasingly modular tools and different aspects that they can use such that like the moment somebody comes through the accelerator, hey, here here are all the things you can use and all the learnings that that uh, they have gone through, right, to, to come to this uh, suite of products. That's very well put. And that's exactly the thesis and the genesis story of 
Seed Club Ventures and why it was born out of Seed Club. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so just touching a little bit on uh, venture investment again, uh, mm. it, we see it, uh, quite a funny trend is that uh, the, the meme is that everybody in Web3 or crypto eventually becomes an investor. Right? Where like uh, you totally. might uh, raise funds to build a product, and then you start angel investing. Like all the all the founders who are have kind of made it, so to speak, are, are venture investing. Uh, a lot of the even the product driven DAOs uh, would, who have a sizable treasury are investing uh, in early stage products. We've seen, for example, Gnosis DAOs spin up like so many projects, right? From mm -hmm. like, Save, CowSwap, and and so on. So, yeah, Uniswap uh, has a venture fund. Shout out Teo. So, and it makes a ton of sense, you know. Exactly. So, is this uh, the future, right? For, um, I guess, DAOs in general, where, hey, it's it's about like if if you have funds, like pay it forward by investing, and you kind of align your value with the ecosystem by having ownership uh, in the things that you're investing in, right? So. I don't know what it, it kind of kicks the can down the road because it's the problem with a lot of the DAO infra is that it's very hard to monetize, uh, but there are a lot of people using it and you have a great community, a great network, and you suddenly find that, hey, actually I have an opportunity to invest in, in all of these uh, uh, social groups, DAOs, other infra mm -hmm. projects, and, and suddenly they find themselves like investing. Uh, or if you find that like, hey, there's a good alignment, you can do token swaps, right? And so suddenly there's a shared ownership. So in the end, the, the business model uh, or value alignment comes through owning a mutual ownership or like ownership through investment rather than like, hey, I'm charging you money uh, to use my product. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think to answer your question, I think it is the future. It's also the past, right? This The technology industry in general has had multiple waves of this, of successful companies setting up corporate VCs or uh, founders who become angels or GPs at their own funds. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think we now just have more ability to do interesting things. To your point, Uniswap, uh, or I don't know, pick, pick an example of a protocol can probably, you know, invest in companies and if they also have a liquid token do token swaps i don't know if that's interesting to them but it's possible um it's also i think just becoming more of a thing because so many of the early successes in the space and also lots of the folks building now are building kind of protocol level work and then they usually also build the first one or two apps on top of that but they want mm -hmm. to encourage this ecosystem, right? So that's where the grants programs come in. That's why you guys run incredible accelerators on behalf of some of these projects. And it makes a ton of sense that they would also be doing venture investments. So yeah, I think it's I think it makes a ton of sense. We're all kind of building these flywheels, right? Seed Club is building this DAO flywheel. We're getting a bunch of DAO builders through the accelerator, and then we're making sure that there are tools they can use on the other side and interesting applications in other verticals. But uh, yeah, we can touch on that later. Yeah, let's let's go there now. Uh, keeping it real, uh, like all the tools that people can use. So, what are the tools that uh, C Club Ventures is using ourselves? 
specifically. <laughs> wow, put me on the spot. Yes, this is a really, really good question. I will tell you the full honest answer. So we are, uh, well, let me just tell you our stack. Okay, safe multi-sig, obviously, communications channel, we use Telegram and, and email. I don't know if you can count that as part of the stack. Um, we have had significant legal framework work. And uh, let's think. We use Paragraph for our newsletters, which is like a Web3 substack. And we have a social presence, right? Twitter and Lens. So we're fairly light in terms of the actual like tooling aspects. And that makes sense because we are a very simple community. We have a very singular goal of deciding who to invest in and then supporting them, right? We have a small community of, of 60 people. We can align fairly easily. We can do soft governance on our investment votes. What I will say, I think inherent in your question is a question of like, okay, how is this experience of running this fund or this venture DAO? What insight has that given us in terms of the type of tooling that we like to see, right? So going through the legal headache gave us incredible insight into the uh, into just how difficult that process can be. That was a critical part of our investment into CaliDAO, which is you know essentially a, an entire suite of products that makes that uh, process much easier for DAOs. Going through the decision-making frameworks and, and processes helps us understand why DAOs need better group decision-making tools. This is a personal area of interest for me. I'll be honest that I think we have, we in general as a space and also we internally have a long, long way to go. You mentioned joke DAO and I think they're gonna be incredible uh, kind of unlocks in that area. And then I think as we scale, we'll probably end up, you know, either raising venture down number two or just increasing the scale of what we currently have and creating this almost like meta organization with a bunch of sub DAOs and each of them has increasing AUM that's dedicated to them. And as in either direction, we'll need to integrate things like reputation. Uh, so we'll use things like Karma or Govern. Um, we'll use Guild is another one of our investments for community access. Uh, you mentioned HATS, HATS protocol that can definitely come into use. It's, it's like role management um, protocol. Everything on chain makes a ton of sense for this use case. Uh, perhaps delegation could fit into that as well. So this, I'll finish by saying this all kind of showcases why we are excited about the modular future of DAOs and the and how individual tools can kind of piece together and be customizable together yeah. rather than kind of all in one out of the box solutions for okay boom here's your here's your DAO setup uh have fun what we've already seen is just the insane diversity and plethora of potential use cases doesn't really lend itself well to like down in a box. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think, so to, to be fair, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. I think to be fair, this is the case for 
a lot of uh, DAOs, be it venture DAOs or otherwise, and and even kind of crypto native organizations, right? And crypto native people where we're like, hey, uh, you know, you believe in crypto. So, uh, you know, what, what apps are you using on an everyday basis, right? <laughs> and right, you're gonna struggle, right, right. <laughs> you're going to struggle right. to, to say and like, okay, sure. Like, you know, I, I've um, paid my friend for a meal, you know, by sending stable coins somewhere. But like everyday apps, not yet, not quite yet. And similar with like our own organizations and DAOs, like which kind of tools and, you know, are all the memberships like tokenized and token gated and then like, you know, have all these reputations, not quite yet. Uh, and it speaks to both um, the pain point and aspiration that we want to get there, uh, but also like in a state of uh, where we are today and, and the opportunities that are still out there, right? Um, a little 100%. bit from our personal experience uh, touching on your point around modular uh, products is so uh, for our accelerator uh, it's a, a bit of a sneak peek that we're actually trying to turn ourselves uh, more decentralized and into a DAO as well right because if you think of a, an accelerator cool. what it is is really a collective of um, you know our venture builders the mentors investors that come together uh, and and all the founders themselves so it is really the group of people coming together and, and the connections, right? So how do we represent that in a social and contribution network? We started to issue uh, soulbound tokens using Syndicate, right? And, and that's like, okay, we just start there, right? Start to build a social graph on chain. And whoever is coming to our demo day and, and showing interest, hey, let's give a pull app. And that's also a simple way to start mm -hmm. to build that social graph. And once we have like more data points, uh, we can start to now build roles, build ownership, build governance into it. Uh, and so we're taking this very bottom-up approach as well. I love that. I actually remember speaking to your team about that because I saw the news that you were uh, you were rolling that out. And I thought it was interesting. It maps like one-to-one -to, -one to some of the ideas that I had in terms of incentivization systems internally for ourselves as well. The way I've been thinking about it is... So I think your system has two different soulbound tokens, right? One for any kind of general help, and then one if someone goes really deep with a portfolio company. That's incredible, uh, yeah. right? So it's, yeah, referrals, knowledge, and time, yes. Okay, cool. So I think what's cool about that is that if you imagine that you were around in the early days of YC, and you were just adding a ton of value to those companies, and you were getting tokens for that tokens that you are like are with you for life they no one can really you know call into question their um, authenticity or anything that now would just be the most incredible resume right that you could show to anyone that you wanted to collaborate with and say hey this is what i've done over that time so i would love to have something like that for long hash ventures accelerator right um yeah. i think there's well, it's called long hash web <laughs> yeah Sorry, sorry. So for Long Hash Web, so oh no, the, I think the, the, the mechanism people... is called Long Hash Web, but yeah, the the accelerator is Long Hash X. <laughs> A couple of brands there. Yeah, so I would love to have that for Long Hash X, and I think that people, when they think about incentive systems, they go instantly towards okay, what can what kind of financial incentive can we imbue this token system with, right? And I think that. Obviously, financial incentives are incredibly powerful, but sometimes they can actually lead to adverse effects. There are interesting examples there, but the, we shouldn't forget about the power of social incentives and kind of just 
making it easier to get people over the hurdle of wanting to do something they already wanted to do, like provide value or help. So I'm going to be really excited to see how that all pans out for you all. And I think we'll probably be rolling something similar out in terms of Soulbound tokens on our end as well soon. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely love to exchange learnings as we both embark on that journey. Yeah, great. All right. Uh, we are like 45 minutes in. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> we covered a lot of conceptual stuff. We made it real by talking about like, what, what are we using and what are we uh, actually building? Uh, and now let's go to then the future-looking thesis uh, predictions and the various mm -hmm. verticals. We, we touched on quite a few of them already. Uh, and so now this is the meat of like the deep dive uh first to to talk about investment uh, areas right before we go into the verticals let's just quickly touch on which parts of the stack are we investing in right we we talked about like we're investing in kind of the infra and then the the DAOs themselves will come through the accelerator uh but from the infra perspective there are there are various uh, levels you can invest right be it from a protocol level uh where it's hey here's like infrastructure that everybody can can build on something like uh, lens for example and they, they don't want mm -hmm. to have their own front end so to speak right and other people build the front ends um or like it's a, from an application standpoint right so like a like a lenster equivalent for a lens uh is that where the value is going to accrue uh, or increasingly is it somewhere in the middle uh, where like mm -hmm. hey look here's an sdk for any social um circle and you have the full flexibility to um, use these different protocols. Use uh, I integrate more modules, be it like with identity and so on, uh, right? And sometimes we see even the protocols build their own SDKs, or from the application level, you start to go towards an SDK so that it becomes more flexible to other builders and kind of it all interconnects, right? Do you have a particular uh, view on where you're more bullish mm -hmm. on, or a particular ratio of like where you might invest? Yeah, we are fairly stack agnostic, I would say. We've made investments throughout the stack. It's also, you know, you might think you're investing in, to your point, like a, a middleware startup and, and suddenly they're building protocol level work that other people are building on top of. So I, I think about it less in that sense. And the ratio we do have, if I look at our portfolio, is something like 50% of our investments are... DAO infra tooling and DAOs themselves. So usually like products that decentralized orgs will use uh, or, or some decentralized organizations themselves, uh, which you know could end up spawning products that other orgs will use or protocols or whatever. So it's all kind of blurry there. And then the other 50%, and this is where I'm super excited is we want to see applications of these ideas and tools in other verticals. So we're excited to get crypto web three outside of its bubble and start to impact other areas as it has been already. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I would paint that picture. Okay. So balance view 50, 50. And I, I love that idea around going out of uh, crypto. Let's, let's go there now. Right. So, uh, I saw some of the areas and I've taken the liberty to summarize them into a, a neat little framework of uh, Amazing, of please. groups of verticals. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at like machines, humans, and memes. 
right? Uh, and so from the nice. machine side, nice. uh, lots of uh, what, what about AI and like physical infrastructure. Uh, from human standpoint, we're talking about creators and creativity and, and everything that uh, under that. And then on the meme side, like mission-driven, vibes-driven, culture-driven. Uh, so, so that's more like uh, in its own level of existence. Uh, and let's go through each of them uh, and the investments that we have made in those verticals, uh, as well as our predictions of like where the interesting projects may lie. So starting with machines, uh, obviously, uh, AI is changing the world. Uh, these foundational models are disrupting everything, uh, apparently. <laughs> and at uh, c Ventures, uh, of course, one of the, probably the highlight uh, of the portfolio uh, is uh, Stability AI, right? Uh, which is behind the popular uh, image generation model, Stable Diffusion. And as I understand, we are the first investors uh, at, at like the, the 7 million round, and now it's it's definitely unicorn and, and beyond. So let's uh, we'd love to understand our view of uh, in in AI and and with learnings from stability AI right so what are we looking for uh, where mm -hmm. is the value going to be what are the pain points that web3 can solve yeah yeah no that's that's super well summarized so AI lots happening especially in the last year or two we've seen some of the consumer use cases that have come to the forefront they are you know, truly magical, and it's it's quite incredible to see um, what's happening there. We approach the the space with a crypto lens, of course. There are folks on our team that have backgrounds in AI research, so we've been making investments since the start. The first um, kind of big AI investment we made was Stability AI, and when we look at these companies, we're really thinking about okay, what does crypto and Web three actually enable here? So. Uh, if we just you know make a quick list, it's essentially community ownership and governance, right? Uh, new models for incentivization and coordination at scale, and data tracking and provenance. And then, uh, well, we believe in general that folks that use Web three principles from the beginning of their startups, no matter what they're building, will. Uh, will build more robust networks because you know products that have user ownership at their core will just be more successful. So that's kind of the the overview there and then how does this apply to AI? So there are some really obvious use cases. Um, I think one that's generally understood now is that we're about to see this insane deluge of AI created content, right? It's it's just going to take over the internet and we need to be very careful about tracking who made what. So for example, we put out this podcast, it would be quite trivial now to make a thousand copies of it, change the things we're saying slightly, make it seem like we said things we didn't. Hmm. We're going to, I think very soon have a cryptographic way to sign everything that we create and say, hey, this actually was us and this is the real version, right? And this is just gonna be, this is gonna be commoditized, I think. This is gonna be like protocol level, this is just gonna happen. And um, there's going to be met metadata readers that like pick it up and only surface the the, the true ver uh, versions. Uh, this also relates to data sovereignty, right? Foundation models are trained on our data. There are companies like Spawning, which is another investment that we've made, who are creating rails that will allow us to opt out. So they actually, uh, for the latest release, 
of stable diffusion, stable diffusion three, uh, there is a you can now opt out using Spawning's uh, infrastructure. If you're an artist, you can say, I don't want my art to be used in the training of this model. So that's really mm. fucking cool, right? They're working with stability on that. Sorry for swearing. Um, and then there are novel incentivization models, and um, these can be used for things like rewarding people for doing open source research work. Which uh, there's, So there's just like a huge design space there in terms of uh, incentivization and like token-based models. Stability are actually experimenting with grants uh, systems for researchers, like Gitcoin grants, which I think is really cool. Uh, you can imagine token-based ecosystems for RLHF, which is reinforcement learning from human feedback. It's essentially humans sitting at a computer and training the AI to be better by telling it what uh, what they prefer in terms of its outputs. And so you can incentivize people to do that. You can track their contributions. You could even imagine, like you you mentioned, decentralized physical infrastructure networks. You could imagine a version of that for AI where you have um, you know, decentralized compute ecosystems. Uh, I think there's a project called BitTensor that's doing interesting stuff there. I So to answer your question, after all of that, um, we... I think the area where I'm most excited, so I think decentralized compute is interesting. I think it's a little bit optimistic for where we are right now. Um, we are always looking at interesting incentivization models and how Web3 Rails can be used there. We're also looking at where emergent DAO structures are relevant. And this is actually where I'm most excited because specifically with AI, communities and decentralized communities have been core to pushing the space forward, right? There's communities like Lion, Eleuther AI, they're doing a lot of work in the open. This, their data sets are being used by everyone from open AI to stability to everyone in between. And these things are going to continue to, to spring up these types of communities. There's one called Harmony, which is like music, open source AI people. And Web3 is like superpowers for communities, right? It can turn users into owners. Governance can be democratized. Participants can have a say in the direction of what's happening. So that is, those are areas where we think there could be a ton of potential. Um, but I'll, I'll finish by saying, you know, this is obviously a very powerful technology. It will continue to become more and more important. There is a lot of work that has been done in the open thus far, but it's becoming, it's definitely trending more centralized. It's trending towards becoming much more closed. Um, training large foundation models requires a ton of resources, ton of access to compute and data. And I think the question is, okay, do we want this whole ecosystem to be controlled by two or three companies? Or do we want to have this kind of rich decentralized ecosystem of development and folks innovating all the way up and down the stack, startups at every layer of the stack? Hmm. Um, I don't think crypto solves that, but it can have a role to play. And that's something that, that we're excited about. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I love the, the fresh take here. Uh, to me, after looking at quite a few kind of AI theses, is that the community first or human first 
and internet native organization first point of view uh, keeps it uh, customer centric or, or, or user centric, right? So from uh, like the data set standpoint of like, how do we form communities around particular data sets or like to curate particular data sets? Uh, and then on the training front, um, not so optimistic right now on the uh, on the decentralized compute, but you know, with a human uh, assisted, I guess, feedback or, or tagging from the training perspective, uh, again, that that doesn't cut out humans, right? Like now we're like, hey, actually, they need humans. They need input and, and like refinements. Uh, and then around- for now, yeah, for now it's it's useful. <laughs> we'll see how long that We'll, we'll see how, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then of course, from from the application standpoint as well, right? around uh, which communities can, can use it and, and how do we uh, create open models that can benefit or like, uh, again, like speed up the scale and speed of innovation. Um, so at every step of the way, Right, having a DAO first or human or community first mindset uh, hopefully helps us build more open and like more human friendly products. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think one way to drive this point home is to think about it from the point of view of a aspiring researcher, right, or someone that already has a deep understanding of some interesting new aspect of of ML research you kind of have two options right now. You can go into academia where you probably won't have access to the level of compute that uh, you might want, or you can go and work at a big for tech company or open AI, and then you'll sign 60 pages of NDAs and anything cool you work on will be like, we'll never see the light of day, right? Hmm. And now what's exciting is that there is, um, there is, kind of a third path that's being essentially trailblazed by Stability AI and and, and, met, and other organizations. Um, there's a lot of really cool work being done in the open, aside from just Stability, where you can go and do your work. It can be published open source. Stability actually has legal clauses that anyone that works for it will always be able to publish their work, even if it's done within the realm, within the confines of Stability. Uh, it can always be published open source and they have revenue uh, share agreements with the authors of papers that if that work goes on to drive revenue, those authors will see um, some percentage of it, including authors that don't work at stability. So they've essentially, it's this like open source, go big or go home. It's like, here we are, we're going to drive deals for compute. We're going to drive deals with uh, media companies or organizations that want our services to get revenue. And then we're going to make sure that the people doing the work get paid. So mm. that's really cool. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and super exciting to see. I love that. Yeah. Th this radical openness and ideas of shared ownership is, is truly embodying the spirit uh, of Web3 and crypto. Moving on to the second part, right? So moving away from machines now to humans, uh, which is <laughs> a wholly different ballgame. We see the rise of uh, the freelance economy, the creator economy, and a lot of that is intersecting now uh, with crypto, right? In the form of NFTs and then uh, in, in the form of like mutual collaboration and therefore shared ownership. Uh, and then, as I understand, we've made a few investments uh, in this area as well. So I would love to understand the thesis here. Yeah, yeah. I love this framing. These are inherently kind of human ideas. So I think of this space 
as like art, music, creativity. And I think this whole space is about to just be blown wide open by Web3. And one question we like to ask is, okay, why now? And the reason is that the creators in these fields who underpin the whole thing are struggling, right? Something has to change. Yancy Strickler, the founder and CEO of MetaLabel, which is an investment of ours, and the um, the founder of Kickstarter, uh, just published an essay called The Old Shit Doesn't Work Anymore. And I think it just perfectly encapsulates how this it just isn't working unless you're in the top 0.001% of musicians or artists or filmmakers it is not a sustainable model in terms of the way that things are currently working. So obviously NFTs are going to play a huge role there. Um, decentralized financial rails will play a huge role there. And I think DAOs will too. And the way that DAOs will help, I think lies at the intersection of kind of collaboration and community. So we can illustrate with some examples. MetaLabel, the Yancy's company, is essentially an operating system for creatives, for groups of creatives to release work together. Uh, so it's a, it's a form that encourages people to collaborate, support each other in creative projects, and then create a digital on-chain output that so far has been incredibly successful. Um, this touches on again of like cultural innovation as well as technological innovation. It's doing things that you probably could do without the tech except for there's obviously a ton of interesting on-chain stuff. But it's this new world where people are like, wait, we can collaborate on something and we can release it and people actually want to buy it. They want to collect. They want to be owners, right? Um, another project that's related is SongCamp, which is kind of a decentralized music creation laboratory. It's groups of musicians and creatives who are co working together on drops. It's essentially like... Uh, it's like a band, right? Meta labels kind of like a like a label infrastructure thing. Suncam is like a band. They're actually making the stuff, and the community can now participate in co-creating works and getting upside from the works that they create. So they have a band called Chaos, which is a headless band. Something like sixty-six creatives banded together, made a bunch of songs. Uh, there were visual artists in that group who made incredible artwork. They all sold them all shared the upside. Um, yeah, so just in incredible example. And also related to this kind of co-creation idea is a company called StoryCo. I highly recommend checking out story.co. They have a beautiful first creation up on the website. It's really, really cool. It's this idea of collaborative, decentralized storytelling. So... Uh, co-creating the next generation of stories that might become Hollywood movies or short films or whatever. Um, I think this is really cool. This is a really cool idea where the fans can also start to become at least partially the creators. They can, uh, you know, you suddenly have a thousand people who might have interesting ideas and using AI, the hurdle to storyboarding those ideas or presenting them is super low now, right? So... Mm. A ton of ideas pop up. People can vote on what they think are the best ones. Someone should have final authority, right? Creative works usually work well with um, either in smaller groups or with uh, a, a writer's room that has some 
you know, final say over what gets put out, but then mm. everyone participated in the creation. So suddenly you have this big group of people that are incentivized to see this thing succeed. They are like, yeah. uh, creators, customers, marketing department, like all rolled into one. Right. Mm. So I think that's super interesting. Um, I'll give one more example. So refraction DAO is a community that produces cultural events and content. So they put on festivals, events, but they also do NFT drops. Um, they're decentralized. They're throwing events all over the world. And what I love about refraction is that it, it, I've been talking about this a lot. It, it perfectly shows how it kind of, it's the perfect example of this model where you have a core initial team who sets up the brand, the concepts, the values, the mission, and then they can share the blueprint that they came up with and quickly fork it all over the world, right? So you can scale right. to dozens of cities pretty much, you know, in a matter of days or weeks versus years. So right. in, I think they've been around for just a year and they've thrown a ton of events. They've, you know, they have thousands of members of the DAO and, and tens of thousands of attendees. So I think this showcases how DAOs are kind of this like bootstrapping scaling technology where once you hit upon a good idea, you can very quickly scale it. And there needs to be some control on that. Obviously, you don't want to forego quantity. Uh, you know, you don't want quantity over quality. But once you have product market fit, you can scale very quickly. So these are all pieces of a beautiful lego puzzle piece that yeah. is a hundred percent emergent and who knows where this will lead but those are some of the things i'm excited about oh yeah and i hear a very coherent theme coming across here around the creation and co-creation uh collaboration there and then uh discovering and, and owning that's uh through some form of uh, nfts or like you said collecting and then the fans themselves can now create stuff uh, one key question that uh, I've been thinking about in this area is, um, I know the new models are very hard to predict and, and they're emergent, uh, but what exactly uh, are we collecting? I feel that like it is not really known, uh, right? Are we collecting, is it something like a master copy? Should you have royalties? Do you need a separate revenue model? Uh, do you need like utility around uh, these things that you're collecting? Or are they just, you know, collectibles for their own sake? Uh, and just to show that social relationship, uh, should we expect the creators uh, to, uh, you know, give some social perks to these guys? Should we expect them to mm -hmm. self-organize? I guess all of the above, right? Uh, in, in a way, it reminds me of the kind of DeFi protocols when it first came out, like, Hmm, is this this is a product, but it's also kind of a public good because it's a mutable protocol that smart contract that just lives on a chain. Anybody can use it. Um, so is it is it a business? Is it a public good? Is it and then what do these tokens do? Uh, and like today, we still don't have a clear answer. And I think with with these NFTs that we're collecting, it's to me even kind of further out. And we're still in the early days. Do you have a prediction on where it will go? Yeah, it's a really good question. I would say to your point of what are we actually collecting? And you gave a bunch of really good examples. I would say it's all of the above. Like the whole point is that we now have a design space where creators can play around with what works for them and what works for their community. In some cases, you might be able to actually own the master copies of 
a song. In other cases, you know, what would it mean to own a one in 1000 NFT edition that is provably linked to a movie that wins the Oscars? I don't know. We're going to find out, right? Fairly soon, I imagine. So um, this is a very kind of new and unopinionated technology that people can, it's, it's malleable. You can use it to, as, as you see fit. What I will say from my own experience is that it has awakened a collecting, a, a collector inside me that I don't think I ever actually existed. I never, ex I never collected baseball cards or, or things like this, but you know, when you can collect an NFT and that in, in some cases it gives you access to a one-on-one -on -one relationship with an artist or a musician that to me is incredibly interesting, right? And I think that's interesting to some creatives that want to open up the door for something like that. Um, others might not want that at all, but they might create something that just has inherent collectible value, right? And people want it like they want an original baseball card. So we're going to see there's already a ton of incredible experiments being run, but yeah, it's it's exciting to see what happens. Absolutely, I, I remember uh, collecting a, a Chaos Hits pack from from Song Camp and then opening it, listening to music, and it just feels different when you exactly. own a song. Like if you, you if you just heard that on Spotify, you'd be like, okay, this is cool. But the whole unpacking experience, you know, I uh, I've been playing music. I've been DJing for. 10 plus years at this point, I buy vinyl, I DJ with vinyl. There is no reason to do this. I honestly don't even, I'm not one of those people that thinks it sounds better. Sorry, I might get canceled by the vinyl community, yeah. but there's something about the experience that makes me do this silly, expensive, difficult thing. And, and, and so, and there are people who are much more into this stuff than I am. Right. So I think it's just going to be this whole new world of what does it actually mean to be a a fan or what does it mean to interact with a creator? Um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's it's a feeling, it's a vibe that you can't quite explain. And with that, let's let's go to the, the third and final kind of cluster and area of our thesis, which is memes, ideas, the, the <laughs> fluffy stuff that somehow has value, right? And uh, here, I, I know there, there are a few uh, ideas that we are investing in. So, of course, we'd love to touch on cities and how curating like a, a mm -hmm. network city based on the shared culture and vibe or a more... Uh, mission-driven, hard thing like even like DSI, right, with science and like funding longevity and, and the idea of longevity and how these tools can you know, empower humanity and be it uh, through, you know, human uh, experimentation or like physical things like living somewhere to propagate these ideas to help these memes and mm -hmm. ideas grow. Yeah. Yeah, great, great examples. I never would have thought to kind of combine the DSI experiments, uh, the DSI investments we've made and the, the cities and cabin under this umbrella of memes, but I really like it. I'm a meme maxi. I think they're probably the most important things in the world. And yeah, so that makes sense to me. Um, 
just to quickly touch on on DSI. So science, the research kind of uh, the the way that research works is that usually it's done in kind of closed silos with very rigid incentive structures. Whether that's in academia and you kind of want to get your research, which you probably didn't choose, right? It's like the person above you in the totem pole that's telling you what to do. You want to get it um, into like a reputable, um, a reputable like paper, and you want like citations, etc. Or you might be working in uh, whatever in, in farm, in big pharma, and there's similar issues there. So we invest, we invested in Molecule, which has the goal of connecting leading researchers with funding. They do this by turning the intellectual property and its development into kind of a liquid and easily investable asset. So uh, in this case, IP NFTs. Um, they're essentially creating collaborative ecosystems, right? So where all of the stakeholders in the development of a drug, from the researcher to the people that might actually end up using it, can work together to bring new drugs to market. Um, it is a, a fascinating space that is growing incredibly quickly and I think warrants a ton of attention for folks that are interested. So definitely check out Molecule. Uh, and then you mentioned cities. So Cabin, uh, formerly known as Cabin Dow, I think they've dropped the Dow name, which is an interesting trend we're seeing a lot. Cabin is a, they're building a network city. So it's a collection of properties around the world tied with a shared culture, community, economy, governance. The properties are what they call neighborhoods and each one is independently owned and operated. And then the residents there kind of co-live, share amenities and also have ownership in the place where they live, especially people that were early um, who actually helped to build the thing and kind of imbue it with their vibe. I love it because they've gamified this whole thing. So there are different roles, like you might have, you know, classes and like a role-playing game. So they have like caretaker, builder, host, naturalist. And um, so I might be like a, a resident, right? That's my role in the ecosystem. And the things that I do give me, you know, um, cabin token, or maybe I'm the one paying into the ecosystem. And so each role kind of plays an important uh, aspect in, in this world. And so like why a DAO, right, in this example? And I think it's because one, it's the scaling thing that we touched on with refraction, where once you blueprint something and you kind of strike on an idea that works, you can very quickly kind of almost like franchise it around the world, which I think is really cool. But then I think that Cabin actually lends itself really well to some of these ideas around community because you want the early community that's building all of these things to have shared ownership and governance in the things that they're building because that's how you build actual long-lasting thoughtful community right if you think about the alternative like if you and i tried to start a startup to compete and do this top down and we'd raise hundred million dollars and we'd hire a bunch of people and we'd get the trucks and you know like do <laughs> do the thing but there's no connection to the thing none of the people working on it would care at all about it except for the paycheck and then going home right so there's this kind of 
I love this decentralized uh, community aspect of like, they're literally, they're there on the weekends, like building, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's really cool to see. They really have skin in the game. So yeah, yeah those are some of the more like high level, I'd say like net new DAO ideas that are super out there, but I think are super exciting. Yeah, in fact, uh, in a counterintuitive way, the more out there it is, it might be a stronger community, right? Because I think that that's what the internet kind of unleashed with things like Facebook groups initially, where like, let's say you have a very rare disease, but you can kind of find each other and then now you can like share information. And now you can do that with all sorts of memes and then have, you know, crowdfunding it, like share ownership, share governance and, and making it happen, right? So uh, in a way, like, a small and intense group that, uh, that rally around a meme. So for example, uh, longevity, we, we believe it's so underfunded and we, we really want mm-hmm. to live forever or with like psychedelics where like, oh, it's, it's illegal, but we all like f- truly believe in it. We think it's life-changing and we're all going to like put our money and resources and time around it and finding the research there uh, or uh, things like a contrarian view of living, right? Like living in nature and, and like purely remote and almost like a collective way and like an gamified RPG way of living in, in the countryside in a cabin, um, right? These are like fairly niche uh, and contrarian uh, views. And you can think of them as like underappreciated, underfunded uh, things that like now you can kind of take a bet, uh, a, a VC bet in a vibe, in a culture, in an idea by participating in these memes that's exactly that's exactly it i really like that framing because if you think about the internet gave everyone the ability to find the people that were into the weird niche things that they are web3 DAOs, internet native organizations give people the opportunity to now collaborate with those people and actually build something of value and to invest early on in a scene you know like i i used to be super into punk rock and if if i was you know if that was all happening now if it was now like early 70s and you could be part of the initial wave that memed that genre and idea Mm. space and philosophy into existence and you could actually have a way to potentially benefit from that in, in some capacity or at least show that you were there you know um that's really cool yeah so i really like that framing Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Uh, as of all good things, uh, we still have to come to an end. We're like pretty <laughs> over time. This is one of the longest episodes we've had. Oh, uh, amazing. Yes. Yeah, so let's try to wrap up in, in a few minutes or in a couple of minutes now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've touched on so many things uh, related to Dallas and uh, perhaps we can close with kind of a unifying uh, vibe or idea that, that's underlying all of this again. Um, well, I, I threw mine out, uh, which is I always love to talk about the spirit of the self-sovereign, uh, which is like I think mm. in this age where people tend to feel like helpless, like, oh, the, the macro conditions, these like, authoritarian governments and oppressive uh, platforms have all the power. But no, uh, Web3 gives us an alternative where we can craft the, uh, we have the freedom to craft the mechanisms, the groups and formed organizations, the memes, the be physical um, digital and so on and therefore create the future that, that we want right so we can take up that responsibility and ownership to craft the freedom and take the freedom that uh, that we need to have uh, and and I know uh, C Club has a great uh, ending uh, to the thesis around uh, interconnectedness 
and seeds. So we'd love to close with that message from you. <laughs> That's actually great. Yeah, thanks for picking up on that. This was uh, my, I so I wrote this essay and then this was the part of the essay that I said is not open for feedback. Everything else underwent a lot of edits. This was like, I really want to drive this point home. And it's essentially that we see ourselves as part of this kind of ever-growing and flourishing Web3 ecosystem, right? We're part of this grander unfolding narrative of the world decentralizing. And we kind of imagine, you know, there's, there's some seed metaphors here. We're like seeds in fertile soil growing an intertwined root network that will provide the structure for a beautiful, diverse forest. That's a direct quote um from this essay <laughs> and that's really how i see it right we're kind of we are i don't know this this root network or the initial seedlings that are experimenting and seeing what happens and i think it's an apt metaphor as well because a lot of these experiments in the next few years will probably not make it they will either adapt or you know they will they will die in, in some capacity or form but they will become the, they will enrich the soil for the next generation of ideas, right? So whether it's DAOs or internet native organizations or some other meme that's yet to come, I think that um, that's what I'm excited about. You know, I, I'm just excited to play a small role in this space as it unfolds. Awesome. What a lovely metaphor to end on. It's been such an incredible conversation, Timur. Uh, any final uh, shout outs uh, or call to actions? Maybe um, where can we find more about Seed Club or yourself before we go? Yeah, so I am on Twitter. It is TimurXYZ is my handle. Uh, we are Seed Club VC on Twitter, I believe, and SeedClub.Ventures is our website. All right. And with that, we come to the end of this episode. This has been Timur Kosters from C-Club Ventures and myself, Shikai from Longash Ventures. And welcome to the Web3 Native podcast. Thank you all very much and see you again next time.